When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Inside Syracuse Basketball with Mike Waters. Presented by Syracuse.com. College basketball is a great thing. Anything can happen. Welcome to the Inside Syracuse Basketball Podcast. I'm Mike Waters. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by legendary Georgetown radio play-by-play voice, Rich Shavotkin. Shavotkin is the only radio voice in the history of Georgetown basketball. He started broadcasting Georgetown games in 1974 and has continued on the air ever since. On Saturday, he will call a Georgetown versus Syracuse game for the 81st time in his career. I talked with Rich about his long broadcasting career, his relationship with the late John Thompson, and his favorite memories of the Syracuse-Georgetown rivalry. How are you, Rich? Michael, always a pleasure. It's hard to believe I've been doing this 47 years and, and we're going through a pandemic now and I may not even get a chance to go to the Dome next week. Well, that's one reason I wanted to have you on the podcast because I know I'm not going to get a chance to see you at the Carrier Dome when, when the Hoyas come up to play the Orange again. And, and there's just something that's not right about a Syracuse-Georgetown game where Rich Sabakin isn't on the sidelines calling the game. Yeah, I really feel very, very, very bad about that whole thing, Mike. But, you know, we're going through a pandemic. You know, I've talked to Coach Ewing several times about, you know, what's going on. I said, this is the way it is. And, um, you know, we take this kind of as a gap year and and look forward to maybe next year. But then nothing like the Dome. You know, you know, that great rivalry ever since the closing of Manley Fieldhouse that all started that, you know, way back in the 79-80 season. And then those great games at the Dome, Mike, and you know, you've covered most of those games, if not all of them. And and, and they're, they're, that's just been a storied rivalry. And I'm glad it still continues. I am too. And, and I, I think I looked this up and I think I have the number right. You've done 80 Syracuse Georgetown games over the years. Is yes, that true? yes, yes, yes. Something like that. Yeah. Cause I know I've done 84 Georgetown St. John's games. So I, I think it's, I think it's in that ballpark. Yeah. 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 It, it, it's well, don't forget. I started in 1974 and if you played twice a year since the biggie started in 1980, and then you carried on through like, close to, you know, until Syracuse left for the ACC. And then how many tournament games did Georgetown and Syracuse used to battle? So that, that's quite a few. It might even be in the 90s, Mike. <laughs> that's just unbelievable. I want to get to some of those soon. And I want to ask you for some of your, your favorite memories of those Syracuse-Georgetown games. But, but you mentioned that you've been doing this since 1974. Yes. And I found it very interesting how you ended up with the Georgetown gig 
it, it, this isn't your main job. This isn't your day job. In fact, you got it while working at uh, your, your main job. You're a psychologist at Walter Reed Army Hospital, correct? That, you know, what, what happened was I always enjoyed basketball. Okay, so I went over to Georgetown and watched a few games and I saw they didn't have commercial radio. So what I was very fortunate to do, I talked with sports information director Fran Connors and uh, Frank Rienzo and Coach Thompson. And they said, well, you know, why don't you make some tapes and we'll see, you know, how you do. And so I made some tapes and, and they liked them. And I, I don't know if there was a whole lot of competition, but anyway, they liked the tapes and they said, Rich, congratulations. You're the voice of the Hoyas, but we have no radio station and no advertising. So, so good luck. So there I was right before the 1974 season. So I had to go out with my tape recorder of the games that I kind of recorded and went through various parts of the city trying to get advertising. And I came up with four advertisers who were willing to sponsor, but we didn't have a station yet, okay? So then I went into this WOK, which was a, a, a small station in Northeast DC, and Coach Rienzo, then the AD, Fran Connors, I, and, and, and of course, Big John went in there and we said, we'd like to, you know, uh, uh, have us on the radio. And he said, sure, it, it'll cost you $10,000. You pay Rich's charges. You pay the line charges. I'll have you on there. And Mike, that's how we got on the air. That, that's an amazing story. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and every year, from, and I'll tell you, from 74 to about 79, it was kind of touch and go. And then when Ewing got recruited in 1981 to start that 81-82 season, people fell out of the woodwork trying to be on Georgetown basketball's radio. So, you know, when, when he came, it kind of put them over the top in terms of people wanting to be Georgetown's radio carrier. Now, is it true the first road game that you ever went on uh, to call for the radio was a Syracuse-Georgetown yes, game? it was a Rochester War Memorial, absolutely. We, Rochester. We, uh, we, 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 beat, um, we beat Syracuse, and then we lost to Dartmouth in the championship in the Kodak Classic. That was my first road game in, in I think, it was like December 28, 1974. That was my first road game. In fact, we used to broadcast at the top of the War Memorial in Rochester. That was where the radio was. So after beating Syracuse that first night, uh, you know, I had Coach Thompson went up there with his two kids, and he said, I'm not doing this tomorrow. It was like too far to walk up there, you know, the top of his kids. So, yeah, but I remember that, that game very vividly. It was just a shame after beating Syracuse, then they lost to Dartmouth in the final. You know, I, I have to ask you about a few of these Syracuse-Georgetown games over the years. And the first one we have to start with, and Syracuse fans aren't going to like this too much, but the game at Manley Fieldhouse in 1980 that broke the longtime Syracuse home court winning streak. And, it, you know, John Thompson capped it with his quote about Manley Fieldhouse being officially closed. And of course, in my opinion, that was the quote that sparked the rivalry. But what do you remember about that game? And, and maybe even, do you remember that, that post-game press conference and that yes, quote? Yeah, you know, I, I do. I, I remember how, how tight that game was and the sleepy Floyd two free throws with five seconds to go. And then Syracuse had that last shot that came up empty. And then Coach Thompson goes into the locker room, snapped that 57-game winning streak and said, just quote, Manly Fieldhouse is officially closed because that was the end of it. And they were going to the Dome the next year. And it was just, just the way he said it, 
was just like so apropos. I mean, whoever thought the rivalry would be the way it was going forward, Mike, but just he, he commanded that moment by saying, Manly Fieldhouse is officially closed, which it was. That was the last time Georgetown and Syracuse played there. Did you have any idea at the time, like, oh, wow, John said what? And, and, and have any idea that that quote would, it basically, it hangs in the air here in Syracuse to this day among us fans of a certain age. Well, you, you know, John Thompson and, and, and Mike, you've covered him and, and I worked with the man for 25 years and, and, and knew him throughout most of my adult life. When he made statements like that, he's, 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 so, he's so bright, he's so insightful that that comment just captured the moment. But then going forward, the importance of that quote lives on forever because it did officially close Manly Fieldhouse and it set the Georgetown rivalry going forward on such a note that everybody refers back to that. I mean, you know, the only thing I could think of, it's even closest. I, I remember when Jim Valvano, when North Carolina's Carmichael Auditorium was, was closing and they were moving to the Dean Dome, uh, after Carolina beat NC State in the last game ever at Carmichael, Jim Valvano went out on the court, got the ball, and made a layup in suit and tie so that he could claim to have be the last person to ever score at Carmichael. Carmichael, yeah. Well, you know, that doesn't come close to what Big John said. Well, you know, and, and, and his statement was kind of set the whole tone for the eventual Georgetown Syracuse rivalry that continues today. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I, what I remember also about that game was I stayed at the old Holiday Inn, you know, the circular one right there. And uh, I, I went up to the dome with my big Comrex box. And I don't know whether I even had a credential to get in there. And I went in the back press entrance. Nobody ever stopped me. And there I was walking in there. And I don't know whether anybody ever told you this, but the security for that game was pretty tight. I mean, that, that was a pretty important game because it was the end of the regular season before they went on to play again in the Big East tournament. You know, Georgetown beat them again, 87-81, up in Providence in the first round in, in the championship game of the Big East tournament. So, so they played almost back-to-back -back within a couple of weeks. But uh, I remember how tight the security allegedly was supposed to be at the Dome. Yeah. So it, it's a great rivalry, and I, I'm, I'm so glad it still continues. Well, let's, let's talk about security at the Dome. I know a lot of the security guys. I know they're longtime friends. But there was the one game in the 80s. I can't remember if it was 80. Was it 86 when Pearl oh, hit Pearl the, the shot. shot? Oh, yeah, right, right in front of me. And there was a court storming of sorts. Yeah. And, and Mike, and I'll be honest with you, I said to the security guards right before that, I said, if he makes this shot, they're coming over this table and they're going to destroy us. Well, two seconds later, Pearl hit the shot right almost in front of us. And Mike, they just came over in waves, knocked us off the air, knocked everything down. And like, Oh, yeah. I, I mean, you can understand that, you know, it, it's look, it's storming the court. That's what they did. But they stormed everybody. Like, it wasn't just the court. They stormed everything in the way of the court. Yeah. You were knocked off the air? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Not knocked off the air. I mean, you know, we were right there next to, you know, the, the, the student station. And, uh, oh, yeah, they, they knocked us all over because they just came over in waves. You know where we sat, right near the foul line. And, uh, yeah, they, they just kept, kept coming. I, I, you could see them because... I said, if he hits this shot and they have a game winner, look out. You know, because that rivalry was continued to be heated. Yeah, Pearl hit that corner shot right in front of us. Okay, let's talk about heated. Yeah. What was your call of the Michael Graham, um, Andre Hawkins incident at the Big East tournament? Well, you know, I'll tell you, I was somewhat screened from that. You know, when, I, when I'm saying what yeah. our broadcast position was, 
I was a little bit shielded from the exact thing. So I was waiting for the referees before I said anything. But obviously, there was a lot of heated words between those two. And look, the Georgetown Syracuse rivalry, when Coach Thompson said, Manly Fieldhouse is officially closed, then they went up and played it a couple times before that 84 battle in, in uh, at Madison Square Garden. That rivalry was so intense. The, the games were wars. I mean, I don't think today they would ever replicate just the intensity, Mike, of those games. But I, I don't remember specifically, you know, what I said about that because I was somewhat shielded from, from Andre and, and Graham. And, and, and that obviously was 84 because Graham didn't play at 85. And right. that was the year Georgetown won the national championship. Uh, I've had a, a lot of people talk to me about the year that uh, Pearl caught Patrick in the ribs with an elbow. Yeah. And a lot of Syracuse fans forget about that part, by the way. Yeah. Uh, and then Patrick got a little mad. Yeah. And uh, here came the right haymaker that just missed Pearl. And I think it was, I uh, can't remember if it was Herman Harid or Raphael Addison who said, if Pearl hadn't ducked, Patrick might have killed him. <laughs> <laughs> well, Patrick was a pretty powerful guy. You know, that, that, that again, that, that rivalry became so intense. You remember they, they used to play sometimes the last game of the regular season on a Sunday afternoon. There were a couple Monday night games, but I remember everybody waited, looked at that schedule and say, the last game of the regular season in March on CBS, either a noon or one o'clock game at the Dome, probably going to be, you know, 10 feet of snow, but they're playing that game. And and I'll tell you, th th those games were just so intense. You just, you lived the whole season for that rivalry. Oh, yeah. It's great stuff. Um, before we move on to some, some other stuff, there's some other, I want to ask you in particular about yourself. You've largely done your radio broadcast solo. Yeah, since 1986, I did every game solo. Prior to that, we did have some color commentators. But starting in 86 to the current present, uh, I've been done solo. Yeah, pre-game halftime the whole, the whole and I did many of the Big East tournament games if you will remember mm -hmm. starting in 1992 or 1982 to 1997 solo at Madison Square Garden I remember that one time I was like one of my first years on the beat and I was at the garden and Georgetown was in like the evening session and Syracuse <laughs> was in the afternoon and you were there calling games. And I remember asking somebody, it might have been the, the Syracuse radio guy at the time was Doug Logan. And I said, what's, what's Rich Shavakin doing here? He said he does every single game of the tournament. Yeah. And I was like, by himself? <laughs> he said, yes, by himself. Yeah, now, when, when, it went to, when it went to 14 teams, I would do five games the first day, four the second, two the semifinal night, and the championship game. So you're talking – you know, Mike, Mike that, that, that's 12 games over a four-day period, which is, uh, it's tough on the, on the throat. See, I knew the players, so it wasn't like, did you have to study rosters? I mean, you knew the players. It was just like, you had to have your voice carry you through. Yeah. Did you ever lose your voice any year? At my yeah, I, I, it, toward the end of those tournaments, yeah, you, you were, you were kind of, you know, luckily my wife's a speech pathologist, so she used to always give me pointers how to kind of lubricate your throat and tea and all that stuff. Yeah, but, you know, you, you, you do that many games over a four-day period, you're going to lose your voice, yeah. So you started doing this in 1974. Yes. And you're still doing it now. Mm -hmm. It seems like the only thing that could drag you away from this job would be a war. Well, a war did take me away from it in, in, in the Gulf War, yeah. I, I was activated as a reserve. Right? 1990, first Gulf War. I left in December. And, uh, you know, when I got to Saudi Arabia, I was hoping to ask Saddam Hussein 
you know, if I gave him two tickets to the Big East tournament, would he let me go back and, and do the games? But I guess we never could negotiate that. Yeah, it was just a shame that uh, that, that was a great team that they had there too. But look, you know, I had a higher calling for my country and, uh, and, and missed, uh, you know, about 20 games that year. And they were the only games I really missed over the course of that 47-year uh, period. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Were you able to get the games while you were over there in Saudi Arabia? It was interesting. I was able to, if not get the games, I was very fortunate. I had a friend of mine over there who worked with AT&T. And we would go to various phone banks, and I would either call my family or call the station to get the scores. And, Mike, I'll tell you a great story. The night that the ground war was about to start the next morning, I went to find out a Georgetown score. It was like the last week of February, right before the ground war was about to get started. You know, the air war had already started and there was blackouts and you couldn't see where you were going. I almost didn't get back to my compound, but I got the Georgetown score. Unbelievable. Yeah. That's great. Now, tell me a little bit about Big John. Yeah. You know, there was the persona. Yes. You know, big guy. You know, yeah. he, if he could intimidate you, especially as a member of the media, he would, he would try. Yeah. Um, but what was he like away from the media? I'm, I'm sure you had opportunities to, to see him in, in other areas or maybe even have a private conversation with him. What, what could he be like? Well, you know, the, the most important thing, Mike, when I first met Coach Thompson, you know, he, he was basically all business. You know, he wanted to know what was my allegiance to Georgetown? Was I going to be able to support the program, support him? to be a reflection because, you know, I had being the radio calling games for 25 of his 27 years, you had a kind of representative and reflective of the way he saw things. I mean, I couldn't go my own way and decide, okay, I'm going to talk about Georgetown program a certain way. So it was very clear from the outset what his message was. And his message was just make sure that you do the right thing that you think about before you make statements, what the implication of that was. His deflated basketball, when you first walked into his office, gave me the very important clue that there's more to life than just basketball. He was an educator. He was an innovator. All those things stood with me from day one that carried with me right on until his passing. I mean, he, he was just an educator, an innovator, and a special guy that, that I miss terribly. Yeah, his his passing earlier this year, um, I know it was felt uh, down there in the Georgetown, Washington, D.C. area. But I got to tell you, I think it hit home up here in Syracuse, too. Uh, you know, Syracuse fans might have hated him in the early to mid 80s, but there was uh, there was a, a mutual respect that grew out of that rivalry uh, by the time the, the, the mid to late 90s rolled around and, you know, of course, on to today. Well, Mike, you know, that, that he, you know what he stood for. You know, he wanted things to be done the right way. He wanted to take care of the Afro-American population. He, he was really an advocate to making sure that they got their needs met, both educationally, emotionally, spiritually, in all ways. And I think he set really the forefront for what we are experiencing today. When, when I first got the job, I think JT3 was about eight years old. Wow. So, because I remember he, he and little Ronnie when we went up to the top of the War Memorial after that first victory over Syracuse, you know, John brought his two young kids. And like, so I knew those kids ever since like that, that first away game. And, you know, of course, they used to come to all the games. So when John got the job, it was like, okay, he's family. Really? Wow. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. 
and, 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 and true when Ewing got the job, he was family too. So in other words, they, they all came in that, in that, that group of Big John and, and JT3 and then, and then, of course, Patrick over the last four years. You know, when, when the school had to decide to let JT3 go, I'm sure it was a difficult decision. Was the hiring of Patrick, you know, keeping the whole thing in family there, was, was the hiring of Patrick basically, you know, the, the best way or the only way that the school could go uh, if they were going to move on from, from, from John III? Well, I think it was a very, very wise hire. You know, Patrick Ewing is a, is a Georgetown guy. He was probably the greatest player ever to play at Georgetown, three Final Fours and uh, a great NBA player. You know, he stood for the Georgetown mantra of what they wanted, both educationally and athletically. He had a good worth ethic, no-nonsense kind of guy. I mean, he was a perfect hire to move on from JT3. Going back to Patrick's playing career, um... I, is it even, I mean, I, I, we all know the stories of Patrick and Syracuse fans have their memories of him. Do you have a favorite Patrick story? Well, I'll tell you my, my greatest Patrick story. If, if you remember, you remember Gary Williams, the coach of, uh, of Maryland, American U, Ohio State, you know, the, and, and, and when Ewing got recruited, we played American U that night. And I, I said to Gary, I said, tell me, what do you think? And he said, I'll tell you what I think. He said, you go home and get a calendar and sit down with your wife and mark off the next four marches because you'll be going to the NCAA tournament the next four years. And he went three of the next four to the final four. So that, that's my favorite story. And, uh, you know, just, just his tremendous work ethic. I mean, just the way he played all 143 games. I was fortunate to see every one of them. You know, I, I keep kidding him. You know, he had uh, 493 blocks. I said, Patrick, I saw every one of them. You know, it's like... I said that I, so I, I can honestly say when I talk about a work ethic, I was able to see every one of his points, every one of his, of his blocks, every one of his rebounds, <laughs> literally. And wow. uh, Mike, he, he was at a different level. I mean, obviously, when you can take a program to three final fours in four years, a national championship, a couple points away from three national championships, you know how much he went to that program. You know, there was another uh, game I have to ask you about. I think it was 1990 up here at the Carrier Dome. Mm -hmm. And if I don't have the year exactly right, I think I do. But uh, you'll remember the game when I say it was the one where John Thompson got three technical fouls and got tossed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I can only imagine as a radio guy how you're trying to capture that scene. Well, you know, the tempers were flaring that night, I will tell you that. And, and, and I remember, you know, listen, you know, Mike, you, you've covered those games and, and you know the intensity of that rivalry. And, and all it takes is just one little thing to kind of spark them to getting into that stuff. And I think there were a couple of calls that might have, you know, gone either way that, you know, could, could determine the outcome of a game. But at that time in 1990, that rivalry had already been going 10, 11 years. So it was like the fire had already been stoked. So it was just like one more intensity. I don't know if I've ever heard the Carrier Dome crowd louder. Yeah, well, the, 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 they call it the Loud House, don't they? It's so, they do now, yes. And, and don't forget, you know, I, I don't know whether Georgetown has the all-time record, but I know there were a couple 33,000s in there and, and 34,000. I don't think Georgetown has the all-time record, but they, they've had many, many games where they, they were in the 30s, 30, 33, 34. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, and especially those Sunday afternoon games, and uh, at the end of the regular season, that could determine who was the number one seed for the tournament. 
and all that. It was really uh, – and both teams always, like, were in the top ten. So, so you, you, had the, you had a great rivalry because you, you had two-story programs battling at the end of the regular season. CBS television, and it was, uh, it was just wonderful. I remember Brett Musburger doing those games on that Sunday afternoon. I can't tell you how many players I talked to that it's the reason they came to either to Syracuse or even the Big East in general because – they would roll out of bed on a Sunday, especially the California kids like Stephen Thompson and Mike Hopkins and guys like that. Uh, and they would roll out of bed on a Sunday morning, turn on their TVs, and it's noon back east. And they would watch Syracuse Georgetown. And they couldn't believe what they were seeing back then. Yeah. And it's interesting how the Big East uh, schedule makers used to put Georgetown Syracuse always at the end of the regular season. And mostly it was a game in the dome. You know, I don't remember too many games at the regular season being in Washington. It was usually up in Syracuse. Do you have a Syracuse player? A favorite Syracuse player? Well, you know, I always liked Pro Washington. I, I thought he was just a great showman. I mean, just as just just the way he was. I mean, he he, he was one of my favorite. You know, I, I'm from Scranton, so I like Jerry McNamara. You know, he was he was one of my my all-time favorites. And you know, whenever we get up there, I always reminisce with him about our younger days. And um, you know, because I knew his family. You know, I knew his I knew his um, his his brother-in-law very well. And he was a former mayor of Scranton four times over. Jimmy Connors. Jimmy um, Connors, sure. Yeah, I met Jimmy. Was for sure. So. Uh, you know, so it's interesting, uh, but but I think Pearl probably was was you know how about Carmelo Anthony and what he did the one year, you know, taking them with he and Jerry Mack to to the national championship. I'm um, you know so again, Mike, those two teams have had such great players over the course of the years and such great games that went down almost to the last shot. You remember Charles Smith drive the length of the floor that Sunday afternoon and that finger roll at the end of the game and and how many times. Uh, did the game go down to the wire, especially up, up in uh, Madison Square Garden in the, either the semifinals or finals of the Big East Tournament over the course of years? Remember, Georgetown led it one time by 15 at the half, and Syracuse comes by and, 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 and wins the, the – the, it was either the semifinal or the final that year. So there, there's been so many over the course of, of the Big East. And I'm glad that even though Syracuse uh, went to the ACC that – that they decided to keep that kind of rivalry going. I just think it's good for college basketball and good for both programs. Good for Syracuse, good for Georgetown. I agree. I, I hope the schools can keep it going, even mm -hmm. though they're not in the same conference anymore. Mm -hmm. um, so we're, you're going to call the game, the Syracuse-Georgetown game uh, from the Dome on Saturday, January 9th. Um, but you're not going to be here in Syracuse. How are you, how are you handling with the coronavirus, you know, uh, we, we talked earlier uh, today before we started recording the podcast about how you're, you're having to call these games without being in the arena. I mean, how, how is that for you? Well, Mike, you know, be, being a fan and wanting to be in the arena, there's nothing like being in the arena. So when you're not there, it, you, your sight lines are somewhat compromised. You can't hear the referees. You can't see plays develop over the course of a court. You get what you get from the monitor. And if you're watching like on a TV screen, that's all you get. You know, when you do the play-by-play -play in the arena, you could see a lot more. You, you just have more visual cues, and it, it's, it's a little harder. I, I've been very fortunate. The, the, the station has been very nice. They've given me a nice setup, but there's nothing like being there. And, and you do miss somewhat of the action because you can't see all the things around you, like deep corner shots, things like that. 
plays that come out in transition because of the camera angles, but you're doing the best you can. You know, we're going through a pandemic. The good news, we're able to put these games on the air. And, uh, and, and there have been some great games, and hopefully this will be a rival that will continue. You know, here it is a week before that game, and we don't even know the game time. Yeah, no. Which is amazing. As, as, we, as, we, as we record now, yeah. uh, no, we still, we still don't. Uh, well, Mike, that, 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 that's reflective of what you're all going through. Yeah. You know, so many teams, you know, had, had to sit out. Look, Syracuse had to take a couple days off because of what's going on. And, and that's why some of this stuff is like you have to be just fluid and flexible and innovative because games are switching, games are changing. I mean, I looked at our schedule the other day and I said, boy, we finally got everything locked in. And then they made two changes. They changed the time of our, our game with, uh, with, with DePaul from a 7 o'clock to an 8.30. They didn't change the, the actual date, but they changed the time. So, you know, you have to be ready to, to be fluid and just accept it for the way it is based on, on what we're going through. Thank goodness we're able to play. I agree with that. You know, I'm, I'm glad to hear that you're still doing the games. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be sad uh, when I don't get a chance to see you because it's always fun to see you at a game and say hi and catch up even if it, if only for a minute or two before a game. But uh, I'm glad you're on the air and broadcasting Georgetown games to Hoya fans in the D.C. area um, because you're a treasure. Yeah, I mean, you've been doing it for so long and doing it so well, Rich. I tell you what, uh, Georgetown fans are very, very lucky to have you. Well, Mike, I've really enjoyed it. And, and it's also the association that I've had with you. You know, you, you've been covering Syracuse games for 30 years. I mean, there aren't many of us left you know, who've been covering these games for as long as that. I mean, that, that, that's a credit to you and, and your perseverance and, and, and the great work you do and all the accolades you've got, you know, from the New York media and everything for the, for the great job you do. And it's like kind of seeing you, guys like Matt Park and Jimmy Sadlin, and, of course, seeing Coach Beheim. You know what I mean? It's like the, these are things that people live for. It's the associations and relationships that yeah. people develop over the course of time. And, uh, you know, as we get a little older and people move on and, and unfortunately pass away, we lose some of those connections. Well, I'm going to ask you to hang on for one more year and don't hang them up yet because I want you calling the Syracuse-Georgetown game next season so I can see you in person and say hi. Well, Mike, it's always a pleasure, and I, I really enjoy, you know, I, I suspected that this year I would be getting a call. I'm, I'm glad you, you were the first one, but usually I get a call from a couple of the Syracuse radio stations when I talk about uh, the Georgetown-Syracuse rivalry, and, you know, it, it, it's a big deal for, for both schools. I mean, th this is something that, that was in, embedded since the, you know, the, the late 1970s, and, uh, and still the rivalry remains today. Even though both teams are in different conferences, you know, playing for, you know, something a little different, the game may not mean as much, but, but the rivalry, I think, is still very, very strong, and, and people look for it being on their schedule. That's a great way to wrap up the podcast, Rich. I appreciate your time. Thank Mike, you. Mike, always a pleasure, and continue the great work you do on behalf of your newspaper and the Syracuse Orange as well. Will do. Have a good night. I want to thank Rich for joining me on the podcast today, and thanks to you out there as well for listening in. Please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast, and follow all the Syracuse basketball action this season with our complete coverage on Syracuse.com. Until next time on the Inside Syracuse Basketball Podcast, I'm Mike Waters.